Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first edition of the Hot Spice Show. I am your host, JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice. All right, so before we start this off, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on me and what this show is going to be. So, obviously, this is going to be MLB talk, maybe some college and I just want to talk about the game of baseball in general. I'd love to interview some of my college baseball friends and maybe some coaches I've had along the way or just some, you know, high-profile guys in baseball. So a little bit about me is um, I, I'm from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. It's a suburb of Philly. I'm a huge Phillies fan. I'm a freshman majoring in broadcast journalism at Penn State. Uh, I would love to be a play-by-play announcer in the future or even an analyst at some point. I think that would be just the coolest job ever. All right, so... Today I'm going to talk about some remaining free agents that haven't signed, even though we're a week into spring training. As you speak, my Phillies are beating the Yankees 12-0 right now, so I'm really happy about that. Uh, and then I'm going to interview my, my high school second baseman, Kenny Tagarini. He's playing college baseball for the Dickinson Red Devils of Dickinson College. That's a small D3 school in central Pennsylvania. Uh, shout out Carlisle. It's a pretty good program. It's also really good academically. I know a couple of people who go there. It's a great, great school. And then I want to finish this podcast talking about a very special player that has an important moment in baseball history. Uh, not many people know who he is, and I think it'd be really cool to just talk about him. And I, th- I think that's how I'm going to end every podcast, just talking about a player that is really important to, to baseball lore, and it just isn't really talked about that much. All right, so let's get into these free agents, huh? All right, so first one for me that comes to mind is Yoannis Cespedes. So as many of you know, he's been hurt the past couple of years. He had a fractured ankle in 2019. So it's going to make him it's going to make it hard for him to play the outfield and I think he'll be relegated to a DH especially with a lingering leg injury aside from that ankle. So he hasn't played 100 games since 2016. He only played 81 in 2017, 38 in 2018. He missed all of 2019 and he only played 8 games in the shortened COVID-19 season. He would have had so many more options if Rob Manfred had, you know, allowed the DH to be accepted in the NL. But I don't know how you know how I feel about that. I've had mixed feelings about the DH for a while. I really love watching pitchers hit. I remember as a young Phillies fan watching Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee absolutely rake. And Zach Granke, love watching him hit. He actually loves to hit a lot. But again, pitchers usually in today's day and age are automatic outs. And I think to help baseball grow, it is declining in popularity. A lot of people do think it's slower. But the, the having a DH would, would increase the amount of balls hit in play rather than having a you know automatic out every once every nine hitters. Um, so Yoanis Cespedes, he would have had more, he would have had more options had the NL adopted the dh so he the two-time also did have a showcase march second nothing's really come of it just yet but i think what's going to happen is he's again going to get signed to a minor league contract with a team that needs a dh or just power off the bench i think it could be a nice platoon situation for him let's see if if his injuries are going to hinder his hitting because he can still hit like let's be honest he even going into his age 35 season he can still hit so I, that's what I think he's going to do. I think he'll he'll earn a spot in spring training, and I think that he will be on a major league roster this year. All right, moving on. So Ryan Braun, Brewers standout Ryan Braun. So he's a six-time All-Star. His best years are definitely behind him. Like I said, he's 37. Uh, I think he'd be a nice DH or power bat off the bench, but I really only see him having two real destinations. I think he goes back to the Brewers, has a nice retirement tour, I think that's, you know, his best case scenario at this point. He'll take like a lower salary just to say goodbye to the fans. Or I think he could go to the Dodgers. I think that's a solid place for him to be because the Dodgers like guys that are good in the clubhouse. I think Ryan Braun would be a great clubhouse guy the same way Chase Utley was. 
But I don't know how Dodgers fans are going to react to that because many do believe that he stole Matt Kemp's that 2011 MVP award with that PED season. Um, but, I mean, it's not like the, the Dodgers need that, in, that outfield depth. They have Mookie Betts, A.J. Pollock, Bellinger, Alec Verdugo. But I think he could be a nice first base replacement. He did play first base a little bit last year. Um, but, I mean, again, we're going to have to see what happens. Okay, so this is the, my most interesting free agent. Uh, Cole Hamels, one of my favorite players growing up. Hollywood, as Ryan Howard called him. So he only made one start in 2020. He's coming off of shoulder surgery, but his changeup is still disgusting. It's so good. It still works well on lefties. It's a ridiculous pitch. Um, in 2019, he had a good, solid season with the Cubs. He had a 3.81 ERA. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, for 36 years old at that point, that's pretty good. So, or he's actually 35. He's 35. So I think that he could go to the Phillies on a lower price. Uh, Phillies need a cheap arm. They do have three solid arms right now in their rotation. Aaron Nola, great pitcher. Zach Wheeler, outstanding 2020 season. He was so dependable. Zach Eflin. So Zach Eflin could be sort of a wild card, but I think he could have a breakout year if he's locked in because we've seen him be really good in the past. So the other two that MLB at least what I saw on Instagram that MLB predicted their rotation to be would be number four would be Matt Moore. So Matt Moore is an interesting signing. He was really good for the Rays a few years ago, but he spent last season in Japan, so you really don't know what you're getting out of him. And then Chase Anderson. So Chase Anderson had a good year in 2017 where he went 12-4 and four with an ERA that was below three. But, you know, again, you don't really know what you're getting. He's been inconsistent for a while. And also, if it's Velasquez, is up there too. But Velasquez, like I've, I've been saying this for years, he should be a bullpen guy. He throws too hard and he throws too many pitches. As many Phillies fans can attest, he throws. He can't even get out of the fifth inning without throwing 160 pitches. Like you don't need that. So I think that's where Cole Hamels could go on a hometown salary, reduced salary, because the Phillies aren't going to pay him 18 million dollars like the like the Braves were going to last year. Uh, all right. So another place Hamels could go would be Cleveland. I think that could be a really cool place for him to be. He'll join reigning Cy Young, Shane Bieber, and. A nice young arm in Zach Plesak. So a lot of people think that the Indians are going to be in rebuild mode. No, I don't really think so. I think they could be a surprise playoff team this year. I think they could surprise some people. So um, one of the guys I'm looking out for this year for the Indians is Josh Naylor. He's a Canadian prospect. He played a little bit for the big club last year. But I watched him in the Rising Stars game, and I watched him in the high school home run derby. Kid hits nukes. He is. He's going to be a great player. I think he's going to have a, a solid sophomore season this year. Uh, Eddie Rosario, always a good solid option in left field. Jose Ramirez, still an animal. He hit 17 home runs in 60 games last year. I mean, he's he's going to have a career year. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And also, uh, we can't forget about Cesar Hernandez at second base. He is a former Philly. That's why he's a little bit near and dear to my heart. Um, but he's a good option. He is a former gold glover. He'll give you 10 to 15 home runs. So I think the Indians could be a wild card team this year, but not even close to the best team in the AL Central. I think that's the White Sox. There's, I mean, I think the White Sox have clearly eclipsed the Twins after their freaking 22-game postseason losing streak. That's wild. That's 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 honestly not okay, Minnesota. What are you doing? So anyway, so I think Cole Hamels will fit right in in Chicago. He's already lived there before with the Cubs. Um, he has, they have a really good lineup, too. I mean, he his whole time in Philly, he never got run support. That's why his win totals weren't very high. And he, he had a, always had a great ERA, great ERA but his, 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 he never got any run support. Look at this, guys. One through nine. Tim Anderson, Yon Mancada, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, 
Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, Adam Eaton, Nick Madrigal, every one of those guys is really good. Like even Nick Madrigal at nine, he's a he's a he was a former high first round pick that they have high hopes for. Adam Eaton is a solid right fielder. He's a good guy in the clubhouse. Jose Abreu is still legendary. He's a, he's thirty four, but he still mashes. Guys, Monty Grandal is a top five catcher in baseball. I I really don't think there's any doubting that. A lot of people would put him at number one, but no one's better than JT. Everyone knows JT BCIB, JT Real Muto, best catcher in baseball. Anyway. Yon Mankata, he's a young, good guy. He's going to have a breakout year this year. Tim Anderson is one of the most exciting players to watch in baseball. I think he is doing great for baseball. I think he's going to be great this year. Uh, but a lot of people don't like bat flips. The old heads will be like, you got to act like you've been there before. But personally, as long as you honor the game, I think that's that's pretty good. That was my old baseball team, the New Jersey Niners. I played with them from when I was 14 to 17. And their whole mantra was honor the game. And I think that's huge. I think that's what kids need to know nowadays. You can have your fun, but honoring the game is so important. I think Tim Anderson embodies that. So Hamels would join the Pale Hose. He would be their fourth starter behind Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, and Lance Lynn. So Lucas Giolito had a sick season. He was he had a great season last year. I think he's going to build off of that. Dallas Keuchel, will, he's not going to get back to the, to the way he was when he won his Cy Young with Houston. But I think he's going to be really good this year. And Lance Lynn's always been pretty good. He'll give you innings. He'll give you quality starts. And that's what you need out of your third starter. So I don't think the White Sox will win the World Series or even the AL necessarily. So I predicted on a show I did for a club called Penn State Sports Night that the Blue Jays will be in the World Series against the Cardinals because the Cardinals absolutely finesse Nolan Arenado for pennies on the dollar. The Cardinals have always been kind of good. I don't know why we let them get good every couple of years because they never they haven't really been bad in a really long time. But anyway, the Blue Jays have Springer and Ryu and a bunch of young talent and Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and probably some other guys that I'm not really remembering right now. But I think that the ALCS will be White Sox and Blue Jays because – because they're they're just this, these two teams are powerhouses. Every team they pick, everybody's picking the Yankees to come out of the AL. I just don't see it. I'm seeing the Blue Jays with their superior pitching and their huge offensive production. Project, projectable offensive production is wild. But something that I, I think going back to the White Sox, I think that a really underrated signing that not really anybody is talking about is their signing of Liam Hendricks. He is the one of he is one of, if not the best reliever in the league. And I think that he can make them he's gonna solidify their ninth inning and make them, you know, just the top contenders in that central division. So Moving right along to Jake Odorizzi, I think Jake Odorizzi could also go to the White Sox. He's 31, coming off a great 2019. He only made four starts in 2020, but I don't really think you can go off of that. In 2019, he was 15-7. and seven. He had an ERA that was, three, that was around 3.5. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty good ERA. He, um, he's going to give you what you're looking for, right? a solid third. He'll, he'll be the third starter on that team. So I know wins aren't exactly what people look at anyway. Everyone looks at, like, FIP. Or ERA or WHIP. I mean, WHIP's a good stat, but I think wins are kind of a sexy stat. I think they're interesting. It's just me. Um, that's just all me. So Odorizzi has been has been inconsistent in the past, which will, which will make teams kind of skeptical. But starting pitching in this league is really hard to come by. Really good quality starting pitching. It's hard to find. So, and especially a guy with a five pitch repertoire. I mean, you've got to go with Jake Odorizzi. I think he makes the White Sox. I think he, he can put the White Sox way above the Twins. I mean, they might even be there already, but I think he puts them over the top and helps them extend farther in the playoffs. They 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 did they made the playoffs last year in the in the um 
the extended format, but they obviously they lost to the A's. So I think they I think he puts them over the top and makes them legitimate contenders for a World Series. All right, so I'm going to talk about Rick Porcello now. So Rick Porcello had a disastrous 2020 season with a 1-7 record and an ERA over 5. He's not anywhere close to where he was in, in his 2016 Cy Young season. I would kind of compare his fall from grace as a Matt Harvey-esque situation, So, but I think his days as a starter could be over. I think he'd be a nice long man. He'd do well coming out of the pen, uh, pitching maybe three solid innings for you. He, uh, he's definitely got something left in the tank as he's only 32. So, I think Oakland could be a good spot. They're always looking for that cheap deal, money ball, as everybody knows. It's crazy. They're always in the playoffs, and I don't know how that happens. They never have any money, and they just they always make the postseason. I mean, I mean, shout out Peter Brand. Whatever you're doing in the front office, you're doing great. Shout out Jonah Hill as well. Love money ball. So I've seen a report that the Angels could also be interested in him, but I think that he would be invited to a spring training on a minor league contract and compete to be their fifth or sixth starter. Now, the Angels are going to have six starters because of Shohei Otani, as he's only, he only pitched every six days in Japan. But I think that he's definitely going to find a job this season. But if he doesn't perform up to par, I think that his major league career could end very shortly. All right, moving on to Edwin Encarnacion. Now, I've always loved Edwin Encarnacion. He's been one of my favorite players for years. One of my favorite moments that I ever watched in a baseball game was the a wild card game a couple of years ago when he hit that absolute tank off of Baldo Jimenez and the Orioles win that game. So yeah, and he was walking around the bases with, with his little parrot arm up. I thought that was really cool. But he is 38 now, and he's frankly way past his prime. His numbers were absolute garbage in 2020. He hit below the Mendoza line, but he did hit 10 home runs, which is interesting to see. So now I think he's going to be relegated to DH. He's been like that for the past couple of years. He's too old for the fir- for first base. He can't really move anymore. So, And I think he may even retire. I think there's a chance that we have seen the last of Edwin. Um, but I think there's a chance that he can, his power numbers at least, I don't. he's never going to get back. His average is never going to be that high anymore. I think his power numbers could get back to where he was with the Blue Jays and even to the Indians to an extent where he, he was hitting the crap out of the ball. It was insane. But I think it's far-fetched that he could be that good again. I think he could be a nice bat off the bench. Um, but we may, like I've said, I think we may he may retire after this year or even before this year. So Josh Reddick, he's 34. He did take a step back in 2020. I think he can still help a playoff team. The Astros might resign him. Like I said, they need to replace George Springer. So I think that's a really interesting scenario. But the Indians are also in need as a veteran presence, like I said. Everyone thinks they're rebuilding, and they, I think they could be a sleeper team. But they have the rotation to compete. They do have a good bullpen. But I think that he could take the position of his former teammate, Michael Brantley. Every young team needs a leader in the clubhouse. I'm going to preach this over and over and over again. It's so big. It's so important. He and But everybody loves Josh Reddick. He would be a very good, nice force in the clubhouse. Now, he is dubbed Mr. Irrelevant. He's, he calls himself that because he produces. But when he was on the Astros, he was surrounded by guys who were just really great, had a lot of talent. Guys like Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Carlo, Carlos Correa. You know, they overshadowed him. He was a good player. Even Michael Brantley and, to an extent, Nick Maldonado. So, even with that, I think he can make a big difference in Cleveland. He's still got some pop. He's not going to hit 30 home runs the way he did a couple of years ago. But he'll give you those 15 to 20 homers. He'll keep the clubhouse stable, which I've said, again, is huge. I think, like, like 
it's just really it's a big thing that I think a lot of players don't I think it's overlooked but clubhouses are very important to the fabric of a team now guys that don't exactly fit the clubhouse mold like Roberto's you know he's still unsigned so hear me out I know he had a domestic violence incident that resulted in a 75 game suspension in 2018 but look at his talent he has an upper 90s fastball a devastating slider he's always had good control I think he could be a stud reliever for the next decade or so he was an all-star in 2017 leading the American League in saves that year but his legal troubles in 2018 sort of derailed his baseball career and I think that could hurt him in getting a good contract obviously because he it's for training and he hasn't signed yet so he'll probably come at a low price it'll be low risk high reward for like i said low risk high reward for roberto ozuna i think he could be a really nice solid player all right so moving away from free agency i want to talk about some big stories i've heard in the past week or two these stories are maybe a little bit old but you know i didn't have a podcast then so i get to talk about them now so Albert Pujols, man, Albert Pujols, pour one out for the big man. He is one of the greatest players of all time. I think he's gonna, re- he might retire at the end of this year. He is in his last year of his contract. I don't know what he, you can't pass up the thir- the twenty million dollars he's gonna get from the Angels. He is. It was a treasure, the city of St. Louis, and it, it's a really shame he left. He got a big payday. You can't blame him for taking that contract. So something that I heard in the 2012-2011 off season when he did sign with the Angels is that he, if he had gone back to the Cardinals. The city would have had a day off for kids and they would have had a day off from school called Albert Pools Day. And the sad part of Albert Pools is that he kind of pulled a Mickey Mantle where his career batting average is now below 300, sitting at 299. He has over 3,000 hits. He hit 660 home runs, which is fifth all time. Albert Pools will be dearly missed. I think that this is his last season. Uh, I don't think he needs to play any longer. He's just hurting himself. He's made his money. But what I think he really should do is he should kind of say that he's going to retire because he'll get the retirement tour like Derek Jeter and David Ortiz and Mariano Rivera got. I still remember Mariano Rivera got a gift from the Twins. It was a rocking chair made up of all the broken bats he caused. I thought that was hilarious. Um so I think that Albert Pujols really deserves that as being one of the stars of the game for so many years, so influential to a lot of kids. I mean, he really revitalized baseball in St. Louis and led them to three worlds. I believe it was three World Series titles. What was it? Oh six and eleven. Yeah, no, it was just two. It was just oh six and eleven. So anyway, moving on to some big predictions that I've seen. I agree with two of them, and I don't agree with this one. So MLB, in, in an Instagram post a few weeks ago, I saw them predict the Mets to win 96 games. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I mean, I could be biased as a Phillies fan. I just don't see it. Yes, they have good options in their rotation with DeGrom and Syndergaard, but Syndergaard's coming off an injury. We don't know how good he's going to be. We don't know if he's going to return to his old form. So you never know. He could be injury-prone. Their third option, Marcus Stroman, looks really good this year. He has developed a new pitch. It's a split change. It's crazy. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Now, from a bullpen standpoint, the Mets have had problems. Seth Lugo and Dylan Patances were brutal last year. Well, they did sign Trevor May, which I like. Their offense has always been pretty good. They re-signed James McCann. Something funny about that is that um, on Wikipedia when it says, like, you Google 2021 Mets, it says they re-signed Brian McCann. The former Brave and Philly killer, he he mashed against the Phillies. 
Um, I just thought that was really funny to, to point out. <laughs> Go look it up, see if it's still there. Uh, now, obviously, this big splash that this offseason had with, for the Mets was getting Francisco Lindor. Mr. Smile, I'm really scared that the Phillies have to face him 18 times a year for the next couple of years. That's that's really scary. So, But have you, as you move through the rest of their lineup, you have Pete Alonso, great player. Obviously, Jess McNeil, he's a guy that, that doesn't have a knob on his bat, which I think is really cool. And Dominic Smith emerged as a really good player last year. Michael Conforto is an all-star. Uh, Kevin Pillar is great defensively. And so is Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo is a solid outfield guy. And, I mean, again, I'm being biased. I mean, I'm looking at these this, this roster. They have a solid roster. But I really think the Mets aren't going to be more than the wild card team. I think the Braves are going to run the NL East. And I think it's going to be tough for anybody to, to overtake them. So... Jeez, I mean, one of the big stories is the Dodgers being predicted to repeat. So they got Trevor Bauer. That's just not fair. That's not fair at all. I'm sorry. When you have a rotation of Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Trevor Bauer, and David Price, you're, you're going to go on some long freaking winning streaks. That's uh, the NL West. Watch out, NL West. Oh, jeez. Their bullpen's really good, too. They have Blake Trinan again. They nabbed Corey Knebel from the Brewers. Uh, the Kenley Jansen's still pretty good. He's not he's not as dominant as he used to be, but he's still a solid bullpen option. I think he's going to be their eighth inning guy, eighth and ninth inning guy. Um, Joe Kelly, the roast masters back. Uh, I think he's a great look for their roster, and I, I just don't I just don't even see any weaknesses on this team. I mean, look at their lineup: Will Smith, Gavin Lux, Max Muncy. Max Muncy is one of my favorite perseverance stories. Look him up. Oh, love him. That's why you never give up, kids. Corey Seager, part of the group of great young shortstops. So a little side story here. I was at a Penn State event called uh, was at the Penn State Sports Business Conference where I, I was on a Zoom call with Bob Costas, a great longtime broadcaster for NBC, and Tom Verducci, one of the best bro- color guys in Fox. On, on uh, He does color, color for baseball. He's on, he does it for Fox. Verducci's a Penn State alum, so shout out Tom Verducci. He talked about how this class of shortstops is amazing, and I, I was I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, it's a premier position in baseball. It's some high-profile guys. Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Fernando Tatis, big contract from him, Francisco Lindor, Tim Anderson. There's so many more. I mean, maybe you can even include Didi Gregorius in there. He's not exactly young, but he's still a t- he's, he's a great shortstop. So, I mean, keep staying with the Dodgers here, you got I mean, Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts. I mean, you've got all these guys that just – up and down the lineup and justin turner even they got him back he's they're gonna be disgusting anyway but i think they could be challenged a little bit by the padres here so padres look at all the moves they made they got blake snell you tarvis joe musgrove mark melanson now mark melanson's a little old but i mean for as a pitcher age doesn't really matter unless you throw really really hard but, I mean, Jamie Moyer did it for 800 years, so I guess anything's possible. Their rotation in Snell, Darvish, Paddock, uh, great. I'm, I'm looking to them for them to be in the top. I think they're going to – my prediction is I think they'll have the best starting rotation ERA in the league. So their, their offense is crazy with guys like Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, even with supporting cast guys like Jake Cronenworth and Will Myers. They'll have their moment in the sun. I can't wait to see the NOS clashes all season, even though, you know, they – they don't start till 10, a, 10 p.m. here in, in the East Coast. Uh, personally, I think the Dodgers are going to take the division. They do have more experience in the playoffs. The Padres will be dangerous. So I'm actually so talking about the playoffs. I'm really mad that Manfred did not use the extended playoffs again. He kept the weird extra innings, which was they were kind of fun, but he didn't keep the fun playoffs. 
I remember I was in my dorm and I was watching these games. They were it was reminded me of March Madness. It was every 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 game right after another. It was really fun for those for that three or four day span. Um, but the Padres, I think they can be dangerous as a wild card team. They're not as like I said, they're not as experienced as those Dodgers. Even though they did beat the Cardinals last year, but you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt. I'm a 19 year old kid. What do I know? Anyway, so we're going to head into my interview with Kenny Taglarini, second baseman for Dickinson Red Devils. All right, so now I'm joined here by Kenny Taglarini. Kenny, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. Thanks, John. I'm honored to be here, man. I'm excited for All this. Right. Uh, I I've heard you. a lot about it. You know, we know that I know about you, but let, let's give let's give my listeners a scouting report on yourself. Yeah, so I'm I'm basically just a, like a smaller guy. I'm a second baseman, typically top, top, towards the top of the order. Um, in a lot of words that people describe me, they describe me as a little bit of a scrappy player. I steal a bag here and there. I don't have the much, much, that much power, but uh, in general, you know, I know as in baseball IQ, I make the play in the field, and I find my way to get on base, get to second base, and get driven in, really. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, Kenny's absolutely jacked. So <laughs> what do you bench press? My bench press, oh man, my bench press has been down. I so I hit two hundred five my junior year, and then since then I've been downhill because really a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of baseball coaches have told me that benching is bad for me. So I've been just doing dumbbells and stuff. But junior year weight room against Chris Hollander, I hit two hundred five for one rep for one rep. I I this kid this kid was a baller. I remember seeing him. Me and him were the same size freshman year. And this kid just balled out all of sophomore and junior year just to get huge. It was hilarious. All right. So what aspect of your game sets you apart from other players that play the same position as you? I think really just my baseball IQ. I mean, when I think of myself, like, I don't, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty solid baseball player, but I know I'm not going to go out and around a batting practice and hit five home runs. You know, I know that, when I'm in the field, you know, I'm going to make the routine play. I'm going to make the tough play look routine as well. But at the same time, I have some baseball IQ that others don't have. So just, 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 you know, there's, there's been plays where there's little pop-ups in me where I go to my left at second base and I just let that ball drop and get the force out at second because the runner who hit the pop-up is a, is a bigger guy. And the runner at first is a little bit faster. So just plays like that, that can ultimately save a run and win a game. Um. So, as a college athlete, I know you guys, I mean, you guys have a lot of time on your hands. You have a lot of time you need to be preparing for the season. So walk me through your day. Like, how do you balance school and baseball? Yeah, it's tough balancing school and baseball a little bit. We have a, uh, like, a predetermined schedule sent out to us before before every week. So we can kind of plan out our stuff. But but it's tough because, you know, and we're in the off season right now. So we typically practice and lift every day. And, and our facility isn't necessarily that close to us. So if we have to walk, it is, it is a long trip. So t- typically I'll be doing, I'll do class. I'll wake up around 9am, start my class, whether that's on zoom or just some asynchronous classes. And then we normally have practice around one o'clock, one to three, and then lift from like five to six. So baseball aspect is not necessarily the, the longer tedious. Um, we're currently practicing like in our small group pods, but but like balancing it with the academics can be tough, especially at a school like personally, like here, where, where I think I get to do a decent amount of work. Have you done stuff outside of just team workouts? Like, have you been able to get in the cage by yourself? Do you have access to the facilities whenever you want? 
Yeah, so we just got a brand-new state-of-the-art facility, luckily, that just opened up this year. So all of our players have access to it 24-7. Um, we can go down there whenever we want. It's about – there's got three long cages. It's got pitching around – sorry, three long cages. And then it's got two half cages where you can hit off the tee by yourself. And then on the other side of it, there's a bullpen. And on that bullpen, there's wrap soda. So the pitchers can throw there whenever they want. Um, so this facility has been really helpful for us. What have you specifically been working on for this season? So specifically, um, I've really just been wanting to improve a couple couple things. So I went to this place to work out for a couple months before coming here called TNL Performance. And we worked on a lot of, of lateral movement, meaning as an infielder, being able to move side to side. Um, and also at the plate, being able to get some more power was just, you know, of course, bench pressing is good, but there's other workouts that are better for baseball. So two things I worked out most going into this offseason were just trying to improve my lateral movement and then also hit for more power. And then also just going back to your last question, John, I wanted to add, we, we had the ability yesterday because we were able to combine our pods um, to do some live at-bats for the first time. So I was able to get a look at the other freshman pitchers, the other freshman hitters, and, and just see where we're all at personally. Have you guys started your season yet? Like, you haven't played any games yet? We haven't played any games. Unfortunately, um, in the Centennial Conference, we don't know if we're going to play. Um, most most of the conferences around the country are playing or have a schedule getting ready to start next week. Um, the only two conferences that I've heard of that might not play are us, the IB, and the NESCAC. So the NESCAC – is is a it's like a really high academic division three conference and and the information that we're getting is that we're going to follow them so the centennial conference is trying to make like a statement when it comes to coronavirus and uh they, they really just don't want to put anyone at risk uh, of spreading the disease so, so no we don't have a schedule or anything yet no. so if you guys end up do if you guys end up playing this year what's what's your goal for this season like other than obviously team goals and you know winning your conference but like what is your individual goal for this year i mean i want to play like uh, i mean it's tough as a freshman no matter where you are i mean if if, if you're a freshman you've got sophomores juniors, and seniors you got to beat out because the, the coach is going to recruit someone in your position basically every year and then next year there's gonna be a new second baseman that comes in so my goal is really just to play um i would love to be an everyday starter maybe hit at the bottom of the order or something um if i could hit at the top that'd be amazing as well but if I could be an everyday starter at second base, that'd be my ultimate goal. Um, if if not that, then typically a lot of Division three programs, even Division one program programs, they'll play double headers, and on those double headers are two nine inning games. So a lot of times there's pinch hitters or defensive substitutions. So just being the first guy off the bench too would be a good goal for my freshman year. So what made you choose Dickinson? Because I know that you had Mr. Cordia, you, mm -hmm. you were going to go there first, and then you decommitted from there, and you. Committed to Misericordia or committed to Dickinson. What made you choose it? Yeah, so I was committed to Misericordia for a very, very long time. Um, the coaches there were amazing. The baseball there was amazing. And they're one of the top Division three programs there. Um, they've won their conference for like nine, ten straight years. So those were all things that appealed to me. And at the time, uh, in order to get into Dickinson, I needed to apply early decision, which was something that I didn't necessarily want to do. So I decided to apply early action to Dickinson, and I actually got rejected from here. So when I got rejected from Dickinson, it left me a couple options of places I could play at with the same like academic stature, being like Misericordia, Alvernia, Weiner, Arcadia, and Lebanon Valley. 
And out of those, out of those five schools, I just really loved Misericordia and I loved everything that they did for me. The coaches were amazing. I love their baseball atmosphere. Like it was something special there. So I committed there and then we roll into to the March and the coronavirus happens. We roll into April and colleges start freaking out about the coronavirus. Students start freaking out. And, and basically what happened was that students started to drop out of Dickinson. A lot of kids couldn't get here. They're international students that couldn't get here for the fall semester or they just decided to drop out and defer. So I got an email from Dickinson asking me to reapply saying that they're losing applicants and that I would likely be accepted into the school. And since Dickinson was probably one of my top choices through this whole thing, just because it's a very good academic school, I just decided to apply back here. I interviewed and got in. Um, and after I got in, the, the, the financial piece wasn't a huge deal because they, they gave me a pretty decent package. So I felt like this was a, that was a move I had to make just because it's such a good academic school. Yeah, I mean, that's always important, too, because colleges, they look at your schoolwork and like you have to you have to you know, pass to play. Like you can't just like, was, is there a minimum GPA at Dickinson where you, you need to maintain to play? Uh, it's either a 2.0 or a 2.5, which is not necessarily that hard to get. Um, you know, I think the exact number is a 2.4. I haven't looked at it all that closely, but I think the minimum GPA to play is a 2.4. Yeah, it's just, it's it's really important that you keep your grades up just so you can play because some, some guys might not be the smartest people ever. Like I know you're a smart guy, but so there's other guys that, you know, aren't, necessarily the best academically but they're dogs on the field and they gotta they gotta make those gpas but we have a lot of those guys here john you'd be surprised we have a lot of them one of the kids we were, i was hitting batting practice the other day and he looks at me he's like you know i've been to class in three weeks i was like you haven't been to class in three weeks i was like yeah he's like did you go to class today i was like yeah but he hadn't been to class in three weeks so i thought that was funny God, that's so funny <laughs> um so what's the so Give me the difference between college baseball and high school baseball. It's got to be a big step. It has to be a big step. You know, it's just an interesting statement, John. And, and it's, it's coming from a, a school like Hopewell where we're baseball-wise, like we're really driven. We're all motivated. Like it's, it sounds crazy, but from my time here at Dickinson, my short time, like, like there hasn't been much of a step, like the culture at hope will prepare me for everything from the next level. And if, and I think if anything, like we're just as motivated, just as ready to go and work just as hard at the high school levels we did in college. Um, talent wise. I mean, of course there's definitely going to be a stepping up. Kids are now four years older than me, three years older than me, two years older than me, where we're last year, of course I was a senior, but as far as everything in the weight room on the ball field, you know, Coach Harrison was a very strict guy. He made sure we all did our thing. We were disciplined. As far as the culture, there hasn't really been much of a difference. I think Hope will set us up well for preparing to the, the next level, really. But on the ball field, of course, there's going to be more talent and adjusting to everyone's a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. I got you. So um, who would you like attribute a lot of your success to? Like who really helped you get on your way and become the player that you are now? Definitely. Uh, uh, my Legion coach, my, uh, my Coriel, I think after my, my sophomore year, I, I played varsity my sophomore year and I struggled a little bit. Um, I was really like a really, really small kid. Um, but after that, I really just like hit the weight room, got stronger. And I worked out and hitting with my Coriel or my Legion coach every day. Uh, Coriel, he's, uh, he played at Lehigh during his college days. He's fourth in their all time hits there. So I really just bought into what, to what he was telling me. And I think it really just transformed my swing into a way that was going to fit best fit me. 
And, and I think that was really the, the biggest key going from my sophomore to junior year. Cause going from my sophomore to junior year, like, I think that's when I made my biggest leap in my baseball career, just my numbers and everything. Um, it really just proved to me that I wasn't just, you know, another guy, like I could be like a top guy for like a team in the state. So that's what, that was really, I would attribute my, all my success, at least at the, at the field, on the plate to him, really. No, it's funny because I remember sophomore year, you're like, John, I'm only hitting like 280. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, 280, like, that's pretty good. You're a sophomore varsity. Yeah. And no, I, I only hit, like, I was, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, freshman year, I did hit football. 600. I hit six, 625 my freshman year. And then yeah. sophomore year, it was a big jump to varsity. I wasn't like struggling just like the point I was striking out, but I just wasn't getting my hits. So I was a little upset. So, all right. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Thank you for being here today. Um, but of course is a one major piece of advice you would give to an aspiring college baseball player. Just never settle, never settle for, you know, with some, no, just never settle. If, if that can, that you can look at that in many ways. Um, but what I mean really by never settle is just, just keep working. If you're if you're a five seven 110 pound second baseman, there's no reason you can't be a five seven 130 pound second baseman by the next year. And then 150 pounds and just keep on going. Um, so much of college baseball now is like the eye test, and by that I mean if you walk into a coach's visit, you want to be big, you want to be strong, you want to be, you know, you want to be fit. But 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 coaches aren't always looking for the guy at a showcase who's hitting 95 miles an hour. That was one of my biggest mistakes that I didn't want to go to showcases because I knew I wasn't going to be the guy hitting 10, 15, 20 home runs. But what I learned is that the coaches aren't always looking for that guy. Every coach needs that, you know, small lefty in the lineup that's going to get on base and steal second. Every coach needs a different kind of player. So if you're like not a showcase player, don't let that stop you from going to showcases. Don't let that stop you from getting recruited. Uh, just, just, just control what you can control and just never settle for, you know, not being able to do something. That's a great word of advice, Kenny. Thank you for joining the High Spice Show today. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon, and I'm looking forward to seeing what you can do on the field. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. So now, thanks, Kenny, for that. Big man, miss you. Can't wait for you to come up here. Can't wait to watch you play. Uh, so we're going to move on to the player of the week, Armando Galarraga. Now, many of you may not know much about Armando Galarraga, but I think he has he he had his 15 seconds of fame. He had a very very important role in baseball lore. So, on June 2nd, 2010, Amando Galarraga threw a perfect game. But you won't hear about that. And he threw a perfect game, but it's not in the record books. And well, I'll let I'll let the Tigers broadcaster take it away. Ground ball, right side. Cabrera will cut it off. Galarraga covers. He's out. No, he's safe. Jim Joyce, what are you doing? Oh my goodness, Jim Joyce, no! Oh god, Jim Joyce. So basically the play was a ground ball to first base. Uh, it was like a little bit off the back, so Galarraga, PFPs, had to run over to cover first base. And the throw beat the runner by a step. And Jim Joyce called him safe and ruined his chance at immortality. It would have been really cool to see because that would have been the third perfect game in, in like a month and a half. Because Dallas Braden threw one on Mother's Day for the Athletics. And Roy Halladay, which in one of the best games I've ever watched, threw a perfect game. Rest in peace, Roy Halladay. I miss you, man. Thanks for the memories. Uh, 
but that would have been really cool to see three perfect games in one season because 2010 was dubbed the year of the pitcher for all those no hitters that were actually thrown this that year. So, uh, Jim Joyce, he's not that great of an umpire as clearly, but he's not on the level of Angel Hernandez. But I think Rob Manfred could just say, yo, like you threw a perfect game. Come on now, like there's no there was no replay, but he was clearly out, and I'm sure that hitter would be glad. He would be glad to be a part of the perfect game. I think he would take it right away. But it just bothers me that these guys work so hard. Like, they're not top players. They have to work for years in the minors. Galarraga was up and down in the major minor leagues. He never really established himself as a full-time major leaguer. I believe he's only in the league for about five or six years. And it just it just bothers me that they don't get to see that payoff. He, ha- he had a great moment. He caught lightning in a bottle for that one day. And it's just a shame that it never happened. All right, so... That's going to do it for this edition of the Pot Spice Show. Thank you guys for tuning in. I really enjoyed doing this. I love going off the cuff. You know, I had a few notes, but I thrive when I improvise. So you guys should 100% follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita12. That's C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A. And you should also follow my club called Penn State Sportsnet on social media. Our Instagram is at PSU Sportsnet. Our Twitter is at PSSNTV. And subscribe to us on YouTube at Penn State Sports Night. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you join me again for next week. Peace, bros.